The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Stand for the reading of God's Word. We're looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 9. And if you'd like to... um, Uh, Use the uh, Pew Bible in front of you there, just underneath the seat, right in front of you, and that would be on page 784. And the reason we stand is what we're doing is we're giving honor to God's Word, right? So uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 9. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb and fear, with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen, amen. Saints, this morning, as we gather on this Resurrection Sunday, what you need to know is this, is that we come together as a Jesus people, and we come together as celebrants. In essence, this morning on Resurrection Sunday, we are party throwers, and the party that is being thrown is in celebration of death's defeat, it's in celebration of sin's destruction, and it's in celebration of Satan's downfall. Resurrection Sunday is a party for the redeemed because Christ the Lord is risen today as he said. The serpent has been crushed as promised. The tomb has been emptied as he foretold, and in the words of the great theologian, that mighty theologian, Johnny Cash, there ain't no grave can hold my body down because there ain't no grave that can hold Christ in the ground. Amen? On Good Friday, Jesus was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities, and he received the divine chastisement, says the prophet Isaiah, not that he deserved but that we deserve for our sins. But on the third day, on Resurrection Sunday, God raised Christ up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. On that first Easter Sunday, a new day had dawned. Like a bullhorn cranked up to 11, the resurrection of Christ from the dead was heaven's victory proclamation that truly it is finished. Yes, on Friday, death was dealt, but on Sunday, the tomb was robbed. And when someone robs death, you don't sit back and stifle a yawn. 
What you do is you throw a resurrection celebration. So I say again, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate this reality. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead by looking at these nine verses found in Matthew chapter 28. And when we focus our attention on these verses, we're going to discover this truth, that Jesus, who was risen from the dead, is worthy of my worship. The world around us beckons us to worship everything but Jesus. None of us are neutral when it comes to to an attitude of worship. The question is, what or who are you worshiping? We're going to see that the verse 9 response of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary falling at the feet of the resurrected Christ and worshiping Him is the absolute proper response for Jesus who has been risen from the dead. So, we're going to pray. Then we're going to turn to our text, and I ask you, I encourage you to uh, don't just sit there and be a spectator right now, but participate in this prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to wow you with the good news that Christ Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that you would do a mighty work this morning among us by wowing us with the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead. There is no Palestinian tomb with the bones of the man Jesus Christ in it because those who are alive do not reside amongst the dead. Truly, the greatest news we could possibly hear on any given Sunday and the greatest news that we are celebrating this morning is that the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And the implications of what this means for us, Father, are so many. And I'm asking that where we are at this morning, you would land on us You would rattle us. You would shake us. You would undo us with the implications of what this means. Why? So, Father, that the Lord Jesus Christ might receive the glory he is worthy to receive. We want Jesus to be honored and to be magnified. So I'm asking, Father, that you would empower, drench this time with a full-blown demonstration of the Holy Spirit and His complete ability to take the Word of God to pierce the hearts of those who hear so that we would leave this morning not the same. Lord, we ask this so that the fame and the name of Jesus Christ would spread among our city and that many would repent and come and believe in Jesus, who is the Christ, risen from the dead. It's in the name of this great Savior we pray. Amen. Well, if you look in your copy of Scripture, notice in verse 1 how it begins. Three days earlier, before this 
event starting off in verse 1, what we discover is that Jesus was crucified and Jesus was buried. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary saw where Jesus' body was laid. And now, Matthew tells us in verse 1, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, these same two Marys who saw where Jesus' body was laid get up early morning on this Sunday and they go to see the tomb because they thought Jesus was dead. That's what you see in verse 1. They are going there because they thought Jesus was dead. The other gospel writers, when you look at the accounts of how they talk about the resurrection, what you discover is that they were going to the tomb on this Sunday morning because they had spices and they wanted to anoint the body of Jesus. They wanted to show honor and they wanted to show devotion to Jesus by preparing his body for burial. So toward the dawn of that Sunday, they go to the tomb. After all, going to a tomb in a graveyard makes sense because that is where the dead reside. There is no implication that these two Marys were going there expecting to find an empty tomb. They were going expecting death. They were going perhaps expecting to grieve again at the loss of Jesus, having seen the events that took place on Friday, having grieved over the silence of just seeming nothingness happening on Saturday. Now it just makes sense that they're going to go there and have this grief and sorrow refreshed as they stand at the tomb looking to where the body of Christ was laying. And for those of us who have lost a loved one, you know what this expectation is like. To go to the graveyard where your loved one is buried only to have that hollow, helpless feeling refreshed as the finality of their absence just comes home to roost once again. You see, if you've been here in this place where that refreshed grief at the finality of someone's absence just washes over you, that I'm telling you what you know is that death does have a sting to it. Death does have a sting to it. And the sting of death would have been ever-present with these two women as they're going to this garden tomb in order to anoint the body of their friend, their Christ, their Lord. Truly, they went to that garden graveyard, to that cemetery, truly thinking Jesus was dead. But as they are about to find out, there is going to be a series of events that unfold, a series of events they never could have imagined because these two Marys were about to learn that Jesus is actually alive. He's not dead as they thought. Again, if you jump over into Mark's gospel, Mark tells us that as the women were making their way to the tomb, a tomb which had been sealed by having a stone rolled in front of it, they are having a conversation with one another because they were wor worried. 
What were they worried about? Mark says they were asking each other these questions. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb so that we can go into the tomb to find the dead body we're expecting to find in order to anoint it? How are we going to make this thing open up so we can do this to the dead body of Christ? But as you continue down in verses 2 and beyond, you discover that what they feared never came to fruition because verse 2, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone, and there he was sitting on top of it. And Matthew tells us that his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. You see, when the supernatural invades the natural, it's not a matter of if someone is going to respond It's a matter of how will someone respond. And the claim that Jesus is alive is meant to shake us and it's meant to amaze us. It's part of the response that we see here before us in the guards. It's part of the response we see before us in these these women. When you come to think about the resurrection, we're not meant to just stifle a yawn. We're not meant to go, well, that's sort of nice for those religious folk. When you think about the fact that a man who was dead has come back to life, defeating the one statistic that will come for every single human being. Your days are numbered. You will die. But there's one man in history for whom that statistic is not true. And when that reality comes to sink into the soul and you begin to wrestle with it, it's meant to amaze you that that is true and verifiably so. And it's meant to sort of unzip you a little bit, to undo you, to rattle you, to shake you from the stupor that can tend to set into our lives when we just go about the natural things of life. When the supernatural invades your life, it's meant to shake you awake a little bit. And Matthew says that's exactly what happened. The claim That Jesus is alive isn't a claim for these guards or for these women. It is something that shook them and amazed them. Listen, if someone has actually defeated death, this means, think about it, they also have the power to defeat the cause of death. If someone can say, I have the power to defeat death, death has no claim on me, then what we can also say is the power by which was exercised to defeat death means this someone has the exact same power to be able to defeat the cause of death. And the cause of death, says the Bible, is sin. And if this person can defeat sin and subsequently defeat sin's penalty, which is death, then the invitation for you and me is to wrestle with what this means. We're not meant to just go, wow, the resurrection thing. Good for those Christians who who do the Easter bit. Grandma, is the ham done yet? It's meant to make us pause and wrestle with what this means. For me, me, a sinner who needs to be saved from the penalty of sin. You see, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead demands a response from you and me. 
We cannot come to the resurrection and walk away neutral. We come to the resurrection and we find ourselves tilting one way or the other. We come and we say, you know what? Nobody dies and comes back to life. These things are stories made up by others. If you read beyond verse 9 in Matthew 28, you see that even the religious leaders of the day are attempting to concoct stories to try to explain the reason why the tomb is empty. Those same reasons exist today. And when the resurrection of Christ comes, when you see your friends on Facebook celebrating, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. I'm telling you, people are seeing those posts that you're making and many of them are saying, That's a load of BS. That's bunk. They're not neutral towards it. They'll either verbally express it or internalize it, but what they're going to do is say that's just not true, and what they're doing is they're reacting to it. But then there's some of us here who are maybe wrestling with it going, man, I I think that just might, 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 might be true. Just maybe. And if it's true that there is hope of eternal life because one man defeated death, then I need to pay attention a little bit and begin to ask, what does this mean for me? We cannot come to the resurrection and walk away neutral. Now, Matthew solidifies this statement I just made. And he solidifies this statement, this reality that we cannot come to the resurrection and walk away neutral when he records for us the twofold response of the guards and of the women. So if you notice in the first response in verse 4, he shows us the response of the guards. And notice I said that the claim that Jesus is alive is meant to shake us and amaze us. Notice that for the guards, it just simply shakes them. It undoes them, verse 4, for the fear of the angel, it says. This angel who was appearance, who is like lightning and his clothing white as snow. The guards see this angel and they trembled, they quake, they shake, and they became like dead men, it says. Now, Matthew is recording for us a little bit of an irony here. There's irony at play. On one hand, the living guards who are tasked with guarding a corpse actually become like a corpse. But compared to the women's response, the corpse they expect to find is actually among the living. Apparently, in the midst of it all, the women were afraid as well. So the angel says to them with words of extreme comfort, listen, I know this might be a little unnerving. Right? Empty tombs, dead men alive, angels from heaven speaking to you when you weren't expecting it. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid right now. I know why you're here. You are seeking Jesus who was crucified. Then the angel delivers the news upon which all of human history pivots. I'm telling you that first resurrection Sunday is the fulcrum point of human history. Everything leading up to that point was pointing forward to the Christ who would come and defeat death, defeat Satan, defeat sin, defeat hell. And as he resurrects from the grave, the rest of human history points back to it. You 
cannot escape the resurrection. It is the fulcrum point of all of history. And what is it? What was being said that yields this truth that the resurrection is the pivot point? It's the great verse 6 when the angel says to Mary and Mary, He, Jesus, is not here. Why? For he has risen as he said. Come, he says to the ladies, see the place where he used to lay. If you go back in Matthew's gospel, we're in the last chapter of this book, this particular book of the Bible. If you go to the middle of the book, as far back as the middle of the book, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is there foretelling his death, foretelling his resurrection to the disciples, saying things to them like this. Twelve, you need to know I'm going to be killed. But what you also need to know is that on the third day I will be raised. This is why the angel says to Mary and Mary, he is not here as he said, as he said, This Palestinian tomb is where Jesus used to be, but he's not here anymore. And it's not because someone stole him away in the dead of night. No, he's not here because he has risen from the dead. The Bible teaches that Jesus did not raise himself up under his own power, but that God the Father raised Christ from the dead by the incredible greatness of his power so that the world might know there is only one king in all the cosmos, the king, Christ Jesus. Now notice again in verse 6 what Matthew writes. Notice the invitation that the angel gives to Mary and Mary. In verse 6, what does he say? He says this. Here's the invitation. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see the place where he used to lay. Let me ask you this. On Resurrection Sunday... April 2022, have you done what the two Marys did on that first Resurrection Sunday? Have you obeyed the angel's invitation to come and see the Lord Jesus? The invitation issued to these two women is the same invitation that's issued to you today. It's the same invitation that's issued to anybody ever. Come and see. Come and look to Christ. Come and see that he's not in the grave. Come and see that he's not a dead man with some bones in a Palestinian tomb. Come and see that the tomb has been robbed. Sin has been defeated. Hell has been crushed. Sin has been destroyed. Come and see. Through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord invites you with the same angelic invitation that was given on that first resurrection Sunday. He is inviting you through the preaching right now to come to him and see. To come and see what? To come and see the humility of Christ. The humility of Christ who was obedient to the point of death on the cross. To come and see what? To come and see the horror of your own sin which put him there on the cross. 
to come and see what? To see that one day you will die for the wages of sin is death and as such it is appointed for a man to die once and then after that is going to come the judgment. But most importantly, to come and look into the tomb, to come and see that Jesus is not in the tomb. He is risen as he has said. He has conquered death as he foretold, proving that he has the power to save you from sin, to save you from sin's penalty, which is eternal death. I ask you again, have you obeyed the angel's command to come and see? Come and see. Now these two women did come and see. And upon doing so, verse 7, the angel quickly tells them, go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell what? Tell the disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. So, verse 8, they obey. And they ran to tell his disciples, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And it's right here as you transition from verse 8 into verse 9 that they meet the resurrected Jesus. They meet the resurrected Jesus. Look at verse 9. And behold, some of your translations might say, suddenly Jesus met them. Jesus met them. This isn't pre-crucifixion, Jesus. This is post-resurrection, Jesus. This is their first encounter with the man they saw crucified, with the man they saw die, with the man they saw buried, stuck in the tomb, stone rolled over, sealed, thinking, that's it? It's done. When Jesus said, it is finished, I guess he was talking about this. We had a great three-year run at it. It was a bit of a whirlwind, but now it's finished. Maybe he was thinking, I thought I would have lasted longer. I thought my ministry would go more than three years on the cross. It is finished. And they're like, well, I guess he was right. It is truly finished. It's not the case. What they're doing is they're meeting the man they thought was dead. They hear that he is alive. Well, anybody can say anything. Now, all of a sudden, there it is. There he is, resurrected from the dead, and they're verifying it with their very own sight. This once crucified Jesus, this once dead and buried Jesus, this once entombed Jesus now makes himself known, and he met them. He met them. Can I say to you this morning, has Jesus met you? Has Jesus met you? Has there been a time in your life where Jesus met you in a saving way, revealing himself to you in such a way where it completely shot the trajectory of your life in a direction you were not expecting it to go? Where he met you in a saving way. And in turn, what you can now say is this, I have met Jesus. He met me and I've met him and I am not who I used to be. I used to think Jesus was this. I used to think Jesus was a good teacher. I used to think Jesus was a moral man. I used to think Jesus taught some good stuff. I used to think Jesus was just a hoax. I used to think Jesus was just a myth. But then Jesus met me and he met me in a saving way. And now I know him and I 
do not recognize who I am anymore because my life is radically different. Has Jesus met you? And in turn, have you met Jesus? Now, listen, you need to, you need to pay attention right here and listen to what I'm asking. I am not asking, have you met church? I'm not asking, have you met church? I'm not asking right now, have you met people who go to church? Yeah, I've met some churchy sort of folk just hanging around every, every now and then. I'm not asking you if you've met people who go to church. I'm not asking you if you've met religious figures. Yeah, I've met my priest or I've met the, the popish figures in my life, and I've met that one pastor that one time. I'm not asking you, have you met Jesus-y type of people? I'm not even asking you right now if your parents are religious. I'm not asking you right now if you are spiritual. I'm not asking you if you're a moral man. I'm not asking you if you're a moral woman. I'm not asking you if you consider yourself a good person. No, I'm asking you right now to truly wrestle with the question, have I met Jesus because Jesus has met me? Have you met Jesus in such a way that you have come to see that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and as such I've cast myself on him as my only hope of salvation because if Jesus suffered the penalty of sin, which is death, and then went into the grave and was buried because he was truly dead, but on that third day burst up out of that grave, then I must wrestle with the reality that one man and only one man, Muhammad can't make this claim, Buddha can't make this claim, Confucius can't make this claim, one and one only can make the claim to have lived, died, and then be living again. And I can't look at that evidence and go, you know, Jesus stuff. I'm begging you to ask yourself, with the evidence of the resurrection before you, if it is true that Jesus has defeated the penalty of sin, which is death, and that means he can defeat the cause of death, which is sin, and you yourself who are a sinner, what does that mean for me? Have you come to Jesus? Have you met him and has he met you? I'm telling you, friends, I'm telling you, when you have met Jesus and you can say, I've met him because Jesus came into my life and kicked open the door and said, I'm here to meet you now. And the way that he showed up in the life of these two ladies, I'm telling you what, you're going to know it. You'll know if Jesus has met you and you have met Jesus. And I'm telling you, when that kind of saving, salvific meeting takes place in your life, you will know a rejoicing in the depths of your soul like nothing else in this world can bring. You will know a deepness of joy that is concrete and firm and living because that rejoicing is anchored on the living Christ. And that kind of reality, when it sinks its tentacles into your soul and it concretizes as a foundation upon which you stand, you will be a rejoicer. Subsequently, that is why Jesus says what he says in verse 9 to the two Marys. Look at what Jesus says. He meets them and then he says, greetings. 
Now, at first glance, that's a little weird, right? Like, really? You just resurrected from the dead, and the best you can bust out Jesus is a hello? Hey, I'm back from the dead. How you doing, gals? Greetings. And so you read that, and you scratch your head, and you're like, okay, that's a little, that's a little odd. But listen, understanding at why it's appropriate for Jesus to say what he says here, us understanding comes when we recognize that the word greetings can also be rendered as the word rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad is the same kind of word there. So now all of a sudden it's starting to make a little bit more sense. The Jesus who I thought was dead is not dead. The angel said he wasn't. And now the truthfulness of the angel's words to me are made sight as Jesus steps into my world and greets me, meets me, and then says, listen, rejoice. Rejoice right now as I'm meeting you and you're meeting me. So the women are met by the resurrected Savior. He lays on them this single interjection, rejoice. Why does he do this? Because my resurrection, by it, Satan's dark kingdom is toppled. Rejoice, ladies, for the empty tomb declares that sin's penalty has been paid. Rejoice, for sin's power has proven impotent. Rejoice, ladies, death is dead. Rejoice, people, divine justice is satisfied. Rejoice, righteousness is perfected. Rejoice, redemption has been paid. Rejoice, sins are forgiven. Rejoice, reconciliation is achieved. Rejoice, salvation has been secured. Rejoice! That's why he's saying that word. And they don't need an explanation because when you see a dead man who once was dead but now alive standing in front of you, all you need is for him to say rejoice. That's all you need. You don't need anything else. This guy was dead. Now he's alive. Rejoice. Invitation accepted. And how do you know they accepted this invitation? Look at the very last phrase of verse 9. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And worshiped him. When Jesus meets you, resurrected Jesus, saving Jesus, death crushing Jesus, hell stomping Jesus. The proper response is to fall down at his feet and to worship him. Do you know why? Have you ever pondered for a couple of seconds why they do what they did at the end of verse 9? Like why is their falling down at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him the absolutely only proper response in the moment to meeting Jesus. Have you ever pondered why that's the case? It's because at the sight of Jesus resurrected from the dead, they go from dying hope to living hope in an instant. Remember, the reason why they're in the garden is because they thought Jesus was dead. Hope had died 
But there in a moment, Jesus meets them, they meet Jesus, he shouts rejoice, and what they do is they fall on their knees and they clasp his feet and they pour out their soul in worship to the resurrected Savior because in that moment, hope which had died on a Friday and on a Saturday fanned itself into living hope on that first resurrection Sunday. Listen, apart from the resurrection, all we would have is dying hope. That's all we would have is dying hope. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian Christians, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If the best we can say is we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, says Paul, Christ has been raised from the dead, and it's his resurrection from the dead that forever secures our living hope. In other words, what the two Marys discovered on that first resurrection Sunday is that for all who have met Jesus in a saving way, they have a hope that is as sure as Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So here's the question. Two questions to wrestle with on this Resurrection Sunday. Question one, do I have living hope in Christ alone? Do I have living hope in Christ alone? Like these two women, question two, have I met Jesus in a saving way? Do you have living hope and can you say Jesus met me and subsequently I met him in a saving way? If the answer is no, I do not have a living hope because I have not met Jesus in a saving way, then what you need to know is this. Today, right now, this morning, April 2022, as we celebrate Christ raised from the dead, you can walk out of here today not as a spiritually dead man or spiritually dead woman. You can walk out today knowing the newness of eternal life found in Jesus Christ alone. It is possible today. How do I know this? Because Christ is resurrected from the dead. And if he's resurrected from the dead, he has the power to save a wretch like you. We just sang it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like that guy over there, that, that big dirt bag up the street, he really needs Jesus. No, 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 no. That saved a wretch like me. It is possible to know the newness of eternal life today. How? By turning from your sin and placing your faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as your only hope of salvation. But if you're here this morning and you can say, by God's grace, I can sing amazing grace. His grace truly is amazing because I know how much of a wretch I was, but my wretchedness did not repel Christ. My wretchedness was almost like a magnet that drew Christ to me and he met me, and I met him, and now I call on him as my Savior and as my Lord. Yes, I have met Jesus. Yes, I have living hope. Then my encouragement would be as we sing this last song and as we take the Lord's Supper, it would be to what? Rejoice. Like cut loose a little bit. I know we're Baptists, and the Baptists, you know, think Pentecostal is a, is a curse word, you know, but it's okay to cut loose a little bit. 
All right, Jesus is cool with you, with you celebrating a little bit. I saw some of you celebrating at your last sporting event. I know you know how to, to cut loose a little bit, okay? It is all right to raise our holy ruckus for the king of kings. My encouragement would be rejoice. Why? The grave has been robbed. There's no grave with the bones of Christ. The grave's been robbed. Death has been defeated. Christ is alive, and you're alive in him, by the way, so rejoice. We are a resurrection people, after all. So let's go and tell others to come and see our resurrected Savior as we go today. Why? So that they too might come and rejoice. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you oh so much. We thank you for what you accomplished. We thank you that you have crushed death to death by your death and subsequent resurrection. The empty grave tells us your sacrifice on the cross was a sacrifice fully acceptable by God. And as such, we now have a living hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Some of us here are wrestling with these truths, oh God. They've listened to the words spoken this morning and they are just, they're doubtful. Some of us are hearing these words and we're just plain angry because the re resurrection, it says something about us. A Christ who resurrected from the dead says that people need to be resurrected. They need to be saved. And in pride, what we can do is wrestle with that truth, saying, I don't need to be saved from nothing, and I don't need to be resurrected from nothing. Lord, would you, who are gentle and lowly, draw near to those who are angry and put off by these things? Lord, for those of us who have by grace had our eyes opened to see our need to meet you, be saved by you, would you stir within us right now a sense of rejoicing as we come to take the Lord's Supper and sing a song of celebration to the Christ who is truly alive. It's in your name I pray these thanks, King Jesus. Amen.